0: Live. Shabbat
1: Shalom, brothers and sisters. I'm Brother Priest, and this is another Sabbath Day lesson for June twenty second, 2013. And this lesson is the fundamentals of the Hebrew faith continued. But this is a specified lesson that I'm kind of pulling out from... Um, some of the things that I had as specialty lessons. Um, this is my first time speaking on this publicly in the way that I shall speak on this today. And this is Jesus the Christ, the people's champ, Christ versus the Christ. is Jesus the Christ, the people's champ, subtitled Christ versus the Christ. The reason for this particular title, Jesus the Christ, the People's Champ, is that we have to put into historical perspective what was going on in the life of this one who has become known as Jesus, what did he think of himself as, what did the people around him think of him as, what did his supporters think of him as, what did his uh, naysayers and enemies think of him as. And this "Christ versus the Christ" subtitle is continued from the introduction that we gave two weeks ago of "Christ versus the Christ." And I would urge some of you who may be new listeners or just catching up to today's lesson, out of curiosity, to go back to uh, I believe it was week two of this particular series, and listen to that intro involving Christ versus the Christ. We're going to do a brief synopsis of that we spoke on a few weeks ago, but today we're going to cover uh, the religion of Judaism versus the Hebrew faith concerning the Messiah, as there's a difference in the outlook of the Messiah by the Hebrews and those who are the religion of Judaism. We're going to once again cover Serapis Christus. We're going to cover uh the cometic Christ, the Christ of the or the said Christ of the Hamite bloodline. We're going to delve into the definitions of Jesus and Messiah and anointing and Savior. And we're going to hopefully properly define these things in our minds that we have a clear view as to what was meant uh, 2,000 plus years ago in scripture historically and what is meant by these writings that we can properly have a clear mind as to what we're looking at when we read these scriptures. There are a lot of things going on in the public, current events, and it's very interesting to see just how things progress. One of the things that I did see a few weeks ago, they uh, found seven plus horses on steroids in the United Kingdom. I wanted to bring that up today before we started today's lesson, to point something out here. Something inside the people of this earth makes it so they want a competitive edge, an unfair competitive edge of debt in competition. The very thoughts to dope up horses on steroids, probably would not have been in the minds of of the people some 30 or 40 or 50 years ago in horse racing. Maybe, maybe not, but most likely, if it was, it would have been in a few minds. But as we look at it today, it is definitely not inconceivable that this would be something standard in the minds of those who are in competition in horse racing, for they stand to earn winnings of hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions. But that competitive edge that brings the people to want to make mischief and cheat in competition is a sure-tell sign of the spirituality and the consciousness of such a people who would do such a thing. If they're going to do it in competition, albeit they do stand to win hundreds of thousands if not millions of dollars, then why wouldn't those same people who can afford to own or possess horses that are specifically for horse racing, why wouldn't it be that they would do such in other walks of life, be it in politics, be it in religion? as these people who have been the said leaders or the wealthy or the rich amongst us are the only ones who would have been able to afford horses to begin with, let alone horses that could be bred for competition. There's a wickedness amongst the people that I want to point out here. Did anything outside of them that they find the need to have a competitive edge over has drawn the sickness to the to the uh, the extreme, going as far as to dope up horses. Well, likewise, there are those in these end times, not the end times of the earth, but the end times of this rulership or this beast and the red dragon. There are those in these end times that will dope up doctrine, inject steroids into doctrine, into religion in order to get a competitive advantage over others. It is shameful. In these times, there will be those, as the Scripture says, and the writings of Paul, that shall depart from the faith. We in the Hebrew faith, in this nation, recognize it, recognizing the Hebrew faith to be that of original theocracy, platform of government that is required by those who claim to be lovers and followers of the Most High Almighty in the Christ, to maintain. With that being said, let's delve into today's lesson, Jesus the Christ, the People's Champ, subtitled Christ versus the Christ. We want to differentiate historically this first and foremost as we've stated a number of times and continue to teach, there was one Serapis Christus who uh, took over rulership of Egypt in times of antiquity. Really, his, his name wasn't Serapis Christus, but he erected himself into Serapis Christus and became a quote-unquote god, King Pharaoh of Egypt. He made himself into an idol god. And the original followers of Serapis Christus were the ones who were originally called Christians. Serapis Christus, the actual guy himself, would have been of Javanite descent in the table of nations, meaning he would be considered a Greek today, a Greek of Caucasian um, gene pool. So that this makes sense as I'm saying it. We must comprehend the three gene pools that appear on earth, the negroid gene pool, meaning any of those who are of black and Latino descent, The mongoloid gene pool, meaning any of those who are of Asian descent that are of the Mongols, um, Moabites, and Ammonites, and those would be those who you call today Chinese, Japanese, Korean, those would all fall under the mongoloid gene pool. And then the Caucasoid gene pool would be those a particular uh, European nations now there are many that ha- are our crossbreed of two of these nations they're not crossbred by seed because you cannot crossbreed a seed but when you activate the seed of origin with an egg of a foreign nation, that is a crossbreeding process. Thusly, you have those such as some who live in Iceland, Greenland. As I often point out, the famous singer, uh, her name is Bjork, B J O R K, but is pro- pronounced Bjork. That should give some of you a hint into the the language. Um, and dealing with the letter J, but Bjork, she would pass as a Caucasian woman, but she also has somewhat of slanted eyes. So there seems to be some Mongoloid gene involved in her bloodline. Most likely, it probably came from the mother's side, as the mother's the genes of the woman. Uh, period, as we were taught by the elders of the Order of Melchizedek, are progressive. And so even a recessive gene in a progressive female body being produced by that female will appear to be dominant over a dominant gene, if that makes sense. For instance, a cock occasion woman would be a progressive gene. Although her recessive gene of caucasoid gene pool, is, it is recessive, it would appear to be dominant because it is progressive over a dominant gene in a male, if that makes sense. The woman's gene pool has a slight edge over the male's gene pool, to make it simpler. So even a recessive gene in a woman will appear to be dominant. It will appear to be dominant, which is why the elders taught us to refer to it as progressive. It will seek to progress the dominant gene. So if you have a negroid man or male with a caucasoid female, the genes of that negroid by seed shall have a change in the appearance where the skin of the offspring will be lighter, the hair texture will be altered it will be less coarse and less woolly than the original dominant gene. So throughout history this has occurred. Anyhow, let me get back on track here and dealing with Serapis Christus once again. We must we must understand this fundamentally. Those people that you're calling in the scriptures Noah, Shem, Moses, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They were of the Hebrew faith. All the way down through David, Solomon, all the way up to the Christ. They were all of the Hebrew faith. Let me make this clear. During the time that they were Hebrews, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all of them of the said Old Testament. Many of you coming from a Christian background have been believing that those uh, said prophets, excuse me, those prophets of the said Old Testament
0: were Christians, when in fact they were not Christians, they were Hebrews.
1: That is confusion there. They were not Jewish, they were not of the Jewish religion, which is Judaism, they were Hebrews there is a difference between the original Hebrew faith of the Bible and all that came after it which is Judaism Christianity and Islam the original Hebrew faith is the origin of all of the above it even predates comedic history in Egyptology I know the argument of timeline. I understand that. We know that. But if you have a really balanced outlook, you're going to find that there's a history that predates Egyptian history. And that history that predates the Egyptian history comes from Sumeria, Babylon, Babylon, and Babylonia, and Mesopotamia. Mesopotamia is contains the oldest history on planet Earth. Mesopotamia is that region between the Tigris rivers and the uh, Euphrates rivers, and even, in some sense, extending down to the Nile Valley River or the Nile Valley region of the river. That's an extended sense, an empire sense rather than an original kingdom sense. That history predates all other history on the earth. Well, that is the history that the scriptures are speaking about from the time of the prophet Adam and even before him, when there were inhabitants on this earth that existed before the prophet Adam and his wife that you know of as Eve. There were inhabitants on this earth before them. Serapis so, Christus was of Greek origin, and this would have occurred somewhere in possibly after the death of Alexander the Greek. After Alexander the Greek went into uh, Kemet at the time, he admired Kemet. He made uh, friends out of uh, Africans, Um, he made friends out of Shemite Israelites. After his death, those who were with him were not as kind as he, and you know how much of a warmonger Alexander the Greek was, and after his death, they moved in, seized control over Kemet, renamed it Egypt, and, or it could have happened before then, but, time frame is the same, or the general time frame, anyhow. And in doing such, they erected this god, Serapis Christus, and they forced the people to worship Serapis Christus. And those who worship Serapis Christus were called Christians. And so Christians of today don't know this, and they don't know the origin of what's Uh, which this uh, uh, Christian religion came from. And so there are a great number of lies that have been told and preached and are continued to be preached that makes it confusing for a modern-day Christian who is sincere in following the Christ. They sincerely love what they know of as the Christ and what they know of as the Most High Almighty. They're sincere about it. We can't take that away from them, and we should not attack our brothers and sisters who sincerely want to be true seekers and true followers and really want to love the Christ and serve the Most High Almighty. We should respect them. We should recognize them as our brothers and sisters. We should help them to learn a little bit more than perhaps they already do know. And in a great number of situations, they have been totally disillusioned and totally lied to. It is very difficult for them to see some of these things. So whereas they're identifying themselves with the one that we've come to know of as today is Jesus, they don't go before that, therefore they don't know the history of what led up to his lifetime, and then afterwards, and and then practicing what they call the religion of Christianity, which is really, in fact, the worship of Serapis Christus and the worship of Zeus. Okay? There's a lot more that I've said in the past, so again, I invite you to listen to a few weeks ago to get more clarity. Just understand that during the time... Thousands of years before the one you call Jesus was born, there was a Christianity that was worship of Serapis Christus. Okay, the Jewish religion did not exist thousands of years before uh, the Christ, the one you call Jesus. It didn't even exist three hundred years after his death. The Jewish religion, as you know it today, did not actually appear until somewhere around 740 A.D. Many of those who are of the Jewish religion, Judaism, don't actually know this history either. They don't know the difference between what it means to be a Jew, the tribe of Judah, to be Jewish, or to be a Hebrew. Many of you think that being a Hebrew, that the Hebrew is a language. It is a language, but it is not the language that those who are of the Jewish religion speak. They speak Yiddish with broken slang Hebrew, but they predominantly speak Yiddish. Most Jewish people are either German or Polish. Most of them are predominantly German. But then you have some that are Polish, and then you have a few others that come from other said nations. But most of the Jewish people that you know of are Germans. Their nationality would be Askenazi on the table of nations. They are the former Khazar or Khazarian Empire. Those are Germans. So in the Jewish religion, they don't recognize the one that you call Jesus as the Messiah. Well, why is that? What is the difference between the Jewish religion not recognizing him as the Messiah and whether or not we as Hebrews should recognize him as the Messiah? We're going to cover this hopefully in vast detail it is my goal to try and get this in within an hour. I don't want to take up a lot of your time today,
0: but your brother is long-winded, so I ask you to bear with me. So understand, Jewish people follow Judaism.
1: That is not the religion of the Christ of the scriptures, or the one that the world has come to know of as Jesus. That is not his religion. That is not the religion of his forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon. That is not the same religion. The religion is not even a religion. But so that you can understand, we'll refer to it as such so that it will be easier for you to comprehend. But in reality, what they were doing was the Hebrew faith. They weren't doing Judaism, they weren't doing Christianity, and they weren't doing Islam, and they weren't doing Egyptology. So a lot of our said scholars, historians, master teachers, leaders, conscious, they don't know the difference between Judaism and the Hebrew faith. Therefore, they think that those of us who are Hebrews are following Jewish Caucasian people. And when you ask these so-called leaders or these so-called master historians and teachers and what have you very simple things that one should know about the difference between Judaism and the Hebrew faith they aren't able to answer them so therefore they're not even qualified to speak on these subjects This has been the best kept secret on this planet for five years And until such time as today, it it has been unveiled to us, these truths, and it is because our curse has been lifted. Now, the after effects of the curse is still in place. We did a 400-year sentence. Whether you count from 1611 to 2011, whether you count from 1515 uh, to 1915, 1555 to 1955, 1492 to 1892. We've done 400 plus years. What is the excuse now, brother? What is your excuse now? You have none. The curses have been lifted from us to go free. The technology for freedom has been unveiled to us today. Let he who has an ear, let him hear. For those of you who will hold on to idolatry and the doping up of doctrines and the departure, the departure from the original theocracy, the original faith, those of you who hold on to that will continue to be blind. So here we've established the difference between Christianity, Judaism, in the Hebrew faith. Now, what I want to first get in our minds, let's deal with the name Jesus. I have had for 20 plus years, Smith's Bible Dictionary, uh, which is one that I encourage many of you to, uh, to get. Um, There are other Bible dictionaries that are good, and it is best to weigh them against one another. I have used other ones, but this is one that I have grown to be able to
0: uh,
1: utilize in a way that I can see after these many years. I can see some of the things that are accurate and some of the things that may not be as accurate as others. And in that type uh, in those types of situations that will call for us to weigh uh, our sources against uh, various various other sources, even if those sources are in uh, complete opposition to the sources that we've been using, that is really a good thing because it gives us a balance to be able to reason for ourselves to determine truth from falsehood. So first, I'm going to deal with this name, Jesus. I'm going to go into the Smith's Bible Dictionary. I'm going to read for you, uh, basically, I'm going to read for you the definition of Jesus.
0: Jesus. Savior. So Jesus literally means Savior.
1: But here's the actual definition. The Greek form of the name Joshua or Jeshua, a contraction of Jehoshua, that is, help of Jehovah or Savior. So again, this name Jesus means Savior or help of Jehovah or help of the Lord. Jehovah means Lord. All variations of Jehovah means Lord. Whether you break it down to um, Yahuwah or Jehovah, or, or Yahweh, they all mean Lord. Okay? Jesus means Savior according to this dictionary. And this is a Greek name, or this is called the Greek form of the name Joshua or Jeshua. I'm read Jeshua for you, J-E-S-H-U-A. Jeshua means a savior, another form of the name Joshua or Jesus. Now, what's important to denote here is this first definition that I read. It says a contraction of Jehoshua. So this would be, in an ancient tongue, Yahshua, and that would mean help of the Lord. So to call the Christ, or the one that has become known as Jesus, to call him the name Jesus is improper. To call him Joshua or Jeshua would still be improper. To call him Yahshua would still be improper. To call him Yehoshua would still be was pretty much as close as you're gonna get in your modern day tongue. But we must add the Yah in front of the Shua. The Yah in front of the Shua. So it would not just be Joshua. Will be Yahoshua or Jehoshua, or Yahashua or Yahoshua or Yahashua. That is the difference between Joshua and the holy name, because the difference is making the distinction of savior and help of the Lord, a savior
0: can be anyone who is a help of the lords. Hear me clearly. So in the translation of
1: words, it becomes very distinctive, particularly in matters of law, as law is specific, to be able to comprehend exactly what the intent of the writer is. And when we can determine the intent by proper definition, then we can therefore see into the minds of those of the past and what they were trying to convey
0: to us. Now I'm going to read for you a scripture
1: Well, actually, let me move on to the term Messiah. Now, we've we've determined that Jesus means Savior, or it's supposed to be relative to Savior. Jeshua means a Savior, but we've determined that the actual name would be closest to Yahshua or Yahushua, but it's properly, it would be more properly Yahushua. So now let's deal with Messiah. I'm going to look up this term Messiah in the uh, Smith's Bible Dictionary. Bear with me one moment. This dictionary that I have is very old and worn. Uh, it, has, it no longer has a front or back cover, as I've uh, used this. And this was a gift from a friend of mine, a Christian friend of mine, and I'm very thankful for that. This is the word Messiah. This would appear on page 400 of the Smith's Bible Dictionary. And there are two forms of this word, Messiah with the A-H at the end and Messiah with the A-S at the end. I'm going to read the A-H first. Messiah, anointed. This word will be Mashiach, answers to the word Christ in the New Testament. And it's applicable in its first sense to any one with the holy oil. Kings of Israel were called anointed from the mold of their consecration. This began during the time I'm, side note, hold that. This began during around the time of Samuel who went in from the tribe of Benjamin to the tribe of Judah and selected a new king and anointed first a young, maybe in his teenage years, a young man, King David, to be ruler over uh, Israel. So understand, Messiah means anointed, and all kings of Israel were anointed. That means there there are two parts of anointing. There's a physical uh, anointing, mean, meaning the use of oil, where it's placed on the head, and then there's there's a ceremonial uh, aspect of that, but then there's also an electoral process that goes along with it. When anything is founded in matters of law, a founder can then appoint. Once an appointment has been fulfilled. From that point on, there can be elections. So originally, the king, the original king, when it was um, now shifted over to King David, taken from the tribe of Benjamin, now going over to the tribe of Judah,
0: the king had to be appointed. The king was appointed
1: by the prophet Samuel, who was the chief prophet and in the, in the founder of the prophetic order. But he, coming from Samuel, that is, coming from the Hebrew faith, the Hebrew faith being theocracy, comprehended the importance of foundation of law and of the electoral process. So as I read to you this again, what does Messiah mean with the A-H at the end? It means anointed. This word, Mashiach or Mashiach, which would be a Hebrew tongue, Mashiach or Mashiach would be a Hebrew tongue. Um, notice no E's or O's or any of that appears in that language because the only Uh, Vowels that would have been written vowels would have been A and I. Pronunciations are different because originally we did not include the vowels, but we understood the proper pronunciations, and therefore we didn't need the vowels. But as the people started to grow and spread out all over the earth, then the vowels A and I were then included in the use of our recordings, written records, and in pronunciations. And it is not to say that we didn't understand the other vowels, the other three vowels. No, we did. We just did not use them in formation of words as we do today. Messiah, anointed. This word Mashiach or Mashiach answers to the word Christ in the New Testament. It is applicable in its first sense. To anyone anointed with the holy oil. Hold that. So understand anyone anointed with holy oil was considered a Messiah or considered anointed. Remember we said we defined Jesus as being Savior. And Jesus being a Greek word, being Savior. Jeshua being a Savior. We're defining here Messiah with the A-H as being anointed. And we're saying that from history, we're learning that anyone who was anointed, which would usually be the kings of Israel, were called messiahs. They were all a messiah. So you have got to understand that before you can move further in your thinking. I'm going to read for you messiah with the A-S as the ending. Again, anointed. The Greek form of messiah with the A-H. So that we get this clear, we now know what Jesus means. We now know, or it's said to mean anyway, we now know what Messiah means. So now we have to deal with anointing. If Messiah means anointed, what does it mean to be anointed? Now this is very important in comprehending the difference between, between Christ and the Christ. Christ, during the times of the one you call Jesus, was referring to Serapis Christus in many of the people's minds. But there was also the fact that a lot of people, just just as yesterday as it is today, they did not know the difference between Christ, Christ and the Christ. No different than any of you know the difference between the Hebrew faith and Judaism or the Hebrew faith and Christianity. Most of the people do not know the even the very existence of the Hebrew faith. Most of them think that it started in, in America. A lot of you think that the Hebrew faith started with the Hebrew Israelites on the street in the 80s that, that's not true either this thing is ancient and is global and there are many hebrews all over the earth many hebrews millions not just newcomers millions for centuries upon century upon century that has been the best kept secret that you have not known and only today is it being unveiled in this way because the time for the truth to come is now, and to get out of this out of the aftermath of this curse, it's time for these Israelites to come on home. Anointing in the scripture is either material with oil or too spiritual with the Holy Ghost now, as I'm stating, so that no one gets confused,
0: anointing is done. in a spiritual manner
1: with the oil. A lot of times the oil was olive oil. And it would sometimes they would mix the olive oil with various other scents. But in general, the the base would be olive oil a lot of times. And they would anoint the head. They would put the physical oil on the head. Okay, now, I want to read for you the history behind this word. This is according to the the dictionary now. Anointing the body or the head with oil was a common practice with the Jews, as with other oriental nations. Hold that. I'm reading this out of a Bible dictionary a common practice with the Jews as with other Oriental nations. So here they're saying that the original Jews were uh, were of Oriental nations. If you understand that this word Jew, J-E-W, according to scripture, is short for the word Judah, J-U-D-A-H, which would be really Yahudah in the uh, ancient language. But... The point that I'm trying to make here is Jew is not Jewish in the scriptures. So when it says with other oriental nations, what does this mean? The original inhabitants of the earth were first born on the said continent of Asia. The original inhabitants of the earth were of negroid stock, meaning they were of the the, dominant gene pool of the earth as the aboriginal uh, fathers of the earth ab meaning coming from abba meaning father and original so aboriginal is original father this would be the asiatic said black man that you're speaking of which was the origin of the aboriginals of the earth think that over I won't harp on that too much today as time is moving quickly. I want to read more of this for you so that you get this clear. Anointing the head with oil or ointment seems also to have been a mark of respect, sometimes paid by a host to his guest. But here's the most important part of this definition. This is definition number two, official. It was a right of inauguration and to each of the three typical offices of the Jewish commonwealth. Hold that. This term Jewish is being written in modern terms. So do not confuse the Judaism and Jewish religion of today as what was going on in the ancient times. as There are some similarities but I want to clear up this word that the, the right, this uh, this comprehension, the writers of this book do not properly comprehend the difference between the Hebrew faith and Judaism. There's not a knock on them. That's not an attack on them. On Mr. William Smith, there's not a knock on him. It's not an attack on him. We just want to clear that up. I'm going to read it again for you. Official, it was a right, R-I-T-E, listen to these key words, it was a right of inauguration and to each of the three typical offices of the Jewish commonwealth. So there are a number of key words here, right, inauguration, um, the three offices, in the commonwealth. What I want to point out to you is the most important of keywords: inauguration. Understand this. As we read the term Messiah, Messiah means anointed. And as we determined, as we read out of the dictionary, that all of the kings of Israel were anointed and they therefore were considered to be Messiahs. Now, when you understand this, understand that the anointing of a king was accompanied with an inauguration into the office contingent upon electoral count or from its origin from Samuel being an appointment. So, an appointed king and or, excuse me, or a Elected king would have both been anointed and inaugurated into office as king, therefore they would have been considered a messiah. So there were multiple messiahs. Okay.
0: We'll read a little bit more. Prophets were
1: occasionally anointed into their office and were called messiahs or anointed. Now listen, messiah means anointed. Prophets were called messiahs and kings were called messiahs and in general the king of Israel was considered the chief of prophets. What a leader of our people was considered chief of prophets chief of the prophetic
0: order hopefully that makes sense so now that we understand what Jesus
1: means Jesus means savior messiah means anointed and anointing is part spiritual or material ceremonial right but it's an inauguration. So as you see President Barack Obama being inaugurated, understand where did they get the whole idea of this from? This is an ancient practice that was originally held by the Aboriginal prophets. As I'm reading it right out of the law diction i mean the uh, Bible dictionary—we're going to go into scriptures and even further more validate this. Now, why are we starting off with this? We're starting off with this so that you understand the difference between Christianity and its origin, Judaism and its origin, and the Hebrew faith and its origin. The Hebrew faith goes all the way back, all the way to the prophet, uh, excuse me, the prophet Adam, to some greater or lesser degree, was passed down from Adam all the way through Abraham and although most people think Abraham was the first Hebrew, he was not. The terminology came even before um Abraham. The terminology of Hebrew came from Eber. His great grandfather, his great 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 grandfather. So really it would have been Eber who would have been the original said Hebrew. And yes, he was speaking the Hebrew language before uh Abraham was born. And his, and he did not originate the language himself. The, his forefathers were speaking the language. It's a whole other situation, but understand, a Messiah can be a prophet or a king who was anointed into office, i.e., inaugurated. Okay, and as we established, the prophet Samuel, who was the founder of the prophetic order. The founder having the power to appoint an initial um, institution of an office, he first anointed, i.e. appointed, slash anointed, slash inaugurated, King David. King David would have been considered uh, the original king, or that would be the uh, dynasty era would have began with the ancient Israelites. Again, today's topic is Jesus, the Christ, the people's champ, Christ versus the Christ. We are going to be longer than I expected today, dear brothers and sisters. It is my hope that there is no problem with the call. Um, I hope that we don't have any drop calls or anything. Um, I'm going to continue with this lesson.
0: So understand...
1: The people of the time of Jesus, they understand the difference between a Messiah, a Savior, a king, a prophet. They understand that prophets and kings were messiahs. Now, here's where we have to get a comprehension of what the Christ is and was.
0: What is the Christ? Why is it different than being Christ? I'm going to read it for you out
1: of the scriptures. John chapter 1 verses 40 and 41. One of the two which heard John speak. Hold that. This is speaking of John the Baptist. So these are those who came and listened to John the Baptist preach. Again, it reads as follows. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Hold that. So Andrew was a follower of John the Baptist. And it reads on as follows. Verse 41. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted, the Christ. Hold that. So when you look up the word Christ, sometimes you don't find an actual definition. In this particular dictionary, they don't give us a a definition for Christ. The only way you're really going to, and I'm sure that there are other ones that do, and you know what they usually say? They usually say that Christ means anointed Savior or anointed or Savior. So as we speak on the the word Jesus meaning Savior, the word Messiah meaning anointed, then when you throw in the Christ, they say Christ means anointed Savior, or some say anointed or Savior, but whatever derivative we approach Now we have to understand the historical reverence of what it means to be Messiah, Savior, and Anointed. So here the very scriptures are stating that Andrew and John the Baptist and all of his followers believed that the Messiah was one and the same as the Christ. Do you hear me? I'm going to read it to you again, John chapter 1, verse 41. This is Andrew. He first finds his own brother, Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. Hold that. So they, in their minds, were interpreting the Messiah as, as the Christ. Now let's go back to what it means to be a Messiah, A Messiah is one who is anointed into an office of prophet or king. King over Israel. Hopefully this is starting to make a little more sense to you. Things should be going through your head as to the miseducation that you've received. And things should be turning the wheels in your mind as to having a deeper comprehension of the difference between Christ and the Christ. The Messiah... Which is being interpreted the Christ, so the Christ was different amongst them who knew this in those times than Christ. Christ was really referring to Serapis Christus and the mythology behind Serapis Christus the Christ would have been the practice and the comprehension of the Hebrew faith. Christ would have been that which was being practiced by the idol god worship of Serapis Christus. Now I'm going to show you where the real confusion comes in. The Kemetic Krasp, K K R A S T, I think it is. was considered a Christ like character. So you would have had King Tut who would have been a Kara, okay? But if you don't understand that King Tut was not of the Kemetic bloodline, then you're gonna be confused. King Tut would have been of the Shemitic bloodline, which is a whole nother well according to the studies that we've that have been unveiled to us today. Let me not speak in the absolutes in this in this sense, so as not to confuse anyone. King Tut would have been of the Shemitic bloodline, not of the, the Hamitic bloodline. But nonetheless, I'm trying to point out here the Kharost and the Christ. That was intermingled with Serapis Christus, because Serapis Christus took it from the Cross. Now where did they get the cross from? The Hamites. They were descendants of Noah. They knew some of the same things that the Shemites and the Japhethites Jaffa, knew. So this was an imitation or their version, if I should say properly, of some of the preservation of the original Hebrew faith. This is why their similarities in Kemet, to that in the scriptures, it is not plagiarism. They were at one time brothers and then cousins, first cousins. The brothers would have been Shem and Ham. Their descendants would have been first cousins. So that culture being passed down, of course, would have been practiced in a similar manner by both. That is not rocket science. That is not difficult to comprehend but those who are, who have just not studied, or have a study bias, will not understand that. So the Christ was the original intent that was held by the Hebrew faith and passed down. Christ would have come from the side of Christianity which is why there is a relationship between modern-day Christianity and ancient Egypt. And you keep hearing them teach that this is a theft. It is not a theft. The Christians did not steal it from Egyptians or, or the ancient Hamites or Chemites. They did not steal it. This was taught to them and passed down to them because those two people have always been in cohorts, Javanites and Hamites, Have always been in cohorts, particularly since the time of the death of Alexander.
0: So understand that that side of the fence is Christ. And this side
1: of the fence, which is Christ, is Serapis Christus worship. The Christ is the Hebrew faith, and the Christ would be literally interpreted as the Messiah. The Messiah, now this is coming straight out of the scriptures. The Messiah would be one who was anointed as king or prophet. So what were they looking for? They were looking for one who would sit in the seat of the Christ. And Andrew And had agreed, and I guess apparently amongst them all, that through John the Baptist, that they had found the one who was to take that seat. The seat of the Messiah, the seat of the Christ, being one and the same. Now, if the Christ is interpreted as the Messiah, and the Messiah is anointed, and a Messiah could be a prophet or a king... Understand there were multiple Christs or multiple prophets or kings who sat in the seat of the Christ as the Christ, the king and prophet over the nation of Israel, and had to be anointed and inaugurated and or appointed into that office by someone of the
0: prophetic order. In this sense, John the Baptist, who would have been a
1: prophet, and therefore it is commonly known that John the Baptist baptized the one you call Jesus, there seems to be noticeably an absence of
0: the inauguration. So the question is, was the
1: baptism the same as an anointing and an inauguration into the seat of king, prophet, Ruler of Israel.
0: Answer is no. The baptism represents the rebirth
1: or to be born again, and therefore you are dipped into water in the same manner that you were in a sack of water,
0: if you would, in the womb of your mother. So to take the seat
1: of the Messiah or the Christ, there had to be twofold, which was there had to be a baptism, of course, or a renewing of the mind, a rebirthing. But then there also had to be an official inauguration. The question is when, where, or if Did that, in fact, happen? Was there ever an official anointing or election of the one you call Jesus or inauguration of the one you call
0: Jesus into the office of king? To the best of my knowledge, the answer is no.
1: So Jesus as it is written in the title the one that you become that has become known as Jesus would have been the Christ in the sense of he was the people's champ
0: he was the uncrowned Christ do you follow me he was the people's king
1: Malcolm X was a king to us in a sense. Martin Luther King was a king to us in a sense. Did they occupy an official capacity of a king? And don't think that I'm relating them and comparing them to the one that you call Jesus. I'm not comparing them to him. I want to show you what it means and what is meant in these scriptures what was meant today, what was meant yesterday. This is a very, very detailed lesson that you must be able to break down and understand. So as I stated, if there were many messiahs, and the messiah is interpreted, according to John chapter 1, verse 41, as the Christ... The Christ would mean anointed, would mean the Messiah, which meant the Christ would be a prophet slash king. And because there was more than one king that we had over us, there was more than one Christ, or more than one individual who occupied the seat of the Christ, is the proper way I should say it. The seat of the Christ is an official kingship or rulership over the nation of Israel the seat of the Christ made the king of Israel the Christ
0: the Messiah a Christ or a Messiah would be a better
1: way to say it so that those of you who have not been familiar with this Do not take such offense. This hurts. I know this hurts. It hurt me when I had to come to the realization that we had been fooled and lied to and tricked. It hurt me. But my love for the Most High Almighty, my love for the one who has become known as Jesus to us, my love for them, my love for truth, my love for righteousness, buried, that difficulty and the pain that I felt in realizing that I had been tricked and lied to by people that I had put my love and trust in, in these
0: so-called preachers. Now, understand
1: that during the time of Jesus, the one you call Jesus, they were looking for a new king. And they were waiting on a new king to appear. Here was the criteria.
0: He had to be the firstborn male. Let's just stick with that first.
1: He had to be the firstborn male. That's number one. He had to be at the bloodline of Judah, so let me just add that. He had to be at the bloodline of Judah, that's number two. Since the time of Samuel, who first appointed David as the original king in the the dynasty eras, from his time, David being appointed the first king, i.e. the first Messiah, i.e. the
0: first Christ. All the way down to the one you call Jesus. Understand,
1: David and everyone after him were of the tribe of Judah. All the kings. David was of the tribe of Judah. Solomon was of the tribe of Judah. Everyone in between him and the one you call Jesus were of the tribe of Judah who
0: were kings. So in knowing that, understand that the
1: king was the Messiah. The Messiah was the Christ. And they were looking for one who would fit that criteria, being of the bloodline of Judah and being the firstborn, and would therefore be qualified to sit in the seat of the Messiah slash the Christ.
0: So they, at that time, were all looking for this one to appear. They, at that
1: time, understood the difference between Christ and the Christ. They, at that time, knew that the people were confused about it because they knew that this image of Serapis Christus slash Zeus, Zeus Christus or Jesus Christus, which would have been Jehovah Zeus or Lord Zeus, they knew that his image Serapis Christus was was present in their time, and the people were worshiping it as Christ, and they had forgotten what the difference between Christ and the Christ was, but of course there were those who preserved original faith, and John the Baptist was one of them.
0: So he knew the difference. Some of the people around him knew the difference, and some of them were confused, just
1: as you are today. Now, I'm going to read another scripture for you so it will help you understand. This is Luke 3 and 15. Now, this is talking about John. And as the people, John the Baptist. And as the people were in expectation, and all men mused in their hearts of John, whether he were the Christ or not. So, see, all these people who were conscious of what the Christ was and the difference between the Christ and Christ was, some of them thought John was the Christ, meaning he would have been the Messiah, meaning he would have been the king and would have been anointed. But there was no mention of a prophet before John the Baptist who who would have had the power or authority to delegate, appoint, or elect into office the king over their people, over our people, one, because we had been seized in government and bonded as bond-servant slaves in our own land in that time. So John the Baptist and all of them knew that in order to return to that, we had to reestablish ourselves in self-government which would be the Hebrew faith, meaning we had to reestablish theocracy, phone on the record, and then we could appoint, or he could appoint John the Baptist, the Christ, to the office of the Christ. He could appoint Jesus to the office of the Christ. When he meets this one that you call Jesus, he recognizes that he's of the tribe of Judah, that he's the firstborn. So he knows that this man fits the criteria, and he also knows what his background was. He knows who his teachers were. This is what you all don't get taught out here. This is not the spook, fantasy, fable, fairy tale stuff that these people make up out here. John the Baptist knew where the one you call Jesus studied in whom he studied with. We're going to show you that today. So here we just said that the people were looking for John to be, John the Baptist to be the Christ, and here's his response. I'm going to read John chapter 3, verse 28. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ. But that I am sent before him. Hold that. John the Baptist was a prophet in the same likeness as the prophet Samuel. And John the Baptist knew that he was sent before him to reestablish and be the founder of of what was to come, therefore he could appoint the one who would take the seat of the Christ. And he says, ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ. So understood, make it understand, about in your mind, make it understood in your mind, John the Baptist and his disciples knew the difference between the Christ and Christ. They knew that Christ was Serapis Christus, and the Christ was of the Hebrew faith, of the bloodline of Judah, and was an office as king and prophet over Israel. Now, what did the one you call Jesus think of concerning himself? Last week I read the scripture or how he was going around asking people, what do they think about Christ? He, listen, the one you call Jesus understood the difference between Christ and the Christ. And he knew all the people were as confused then as most of you are out there today. He knew that too many of you were idol god worshipers caught up in worshiping Serapis Christus, which is another devil god, so that's demonic worship, idolatry one on one Serapis christus worship matthew twenty four verses twenty two through twenty four And this is the one that you call Jesus speaking here. And except those days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not see he's addressing the issue that he knows that the people amongst them that he's talking to and the people in the future do not know the difference they have been confused by this wicked devil they think that Christ is the same as the Christ listen to what else he says for there shall arise false Christ and false prophets. and shall show great signs and wonders in so much that if it were possible they shall deceive the very
0: elect. Hold that. Key word, elect. Hmm. Elect can mean one of high intelligence.
1: But elect can be a verb in the form of an action taking place to place someone in office, which you would think those would be those of the highest intelligence with the highest education. So let's view this in a different kind of way here. Keep in mind, he knows the difference between Christ and the Christ and he knows that the people don't know the difference. So whereas you've been taught that he's talking about himself in this scripture, listen again. Then if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not, for
0: there shall rise false Christ. Hold that. I'm going to show you
1: what he's saying in a deeper way. Here's what he's saying. There's going to arise a number of people that are going to be claiming to be Christ. He knows that they think that Christ is the same thing as the Christ. So he's really referring to the Christ, but he's speaking to these People that are unconscious and asleep and he knows it so he says it in this way: for there shall arise false Christs or those who are falsely, falsely claiming to be the Christ now listen to what else he does remember Christ according to uh the Christ according to John chapter one verse forty one Is interpreted as the Messiah. Remember, the Messiah is the one, is one who is anointed, and one who's anointed can be in the prophetic order, or can be a king, or can be both. And many times they were both. So keep in mind, this one you call Jesus knows the history of that. He knows what they mean by definition, and you're going to see into his mind's eye. Listen to this. For there shall arise false Christ, and false prophets. Hold
0: that. He knows there's a relationship between the Christ and prophet.
1: And he's trying to interpret it and give it to you in a way so that you can Get the meat of what he's saying. If you really look and know the history, it will open up your mind's eye to the depth of what he was experiencing and what he meant. And it reads on as follows, they shall show great signs and wonders in so much that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. And as we stated, the elect can be those of the highest intelligence, those who have been exposed to the highest education, and usually those who have the highest education are presumed to be the most intelligent, and therefore those who are of this background are the ones who will be the leading class that would be put into positions of perceived power and or voted slash elected into office. So he knew that there would be those who would be elected, listen good, into offices that would forget and have lost the knowledge of the difference between Christ and the Christ. So he was trying to speak to them in their mind and speak to that mind that he knew was coming in the future, and you can see it when you continue to follow his words. I hope that that made
0: sense. So he knows he's dealing with the, the one you call Jesus. He's consistently
1: dealing with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Now, he had studied with a particular group. Now, we're going to get to that group that he studied with. John the Baptist knew his background, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees knew his background and they knew that they had been trained differently than he had. He had teachers don't don't get it misunderstood. The one you call Jesus had teachers, and those who were around him who are in positions of perceived power or actual power, knew some of his background. And as they would come and challenge him all the time, every time he saw him coming, he would think to himself, oh God, here we go again. Oh Lord, here we go again. Here come these know-it-alls. Here come these fundamentalist, hardcore fundamentalist Hebrews. And here they come to challenge me again. They know that he is of a rare breed. They know that he was the firstborn son and he was of the tribe of Judah. They know that he studied from the time he was 12. This is what you don't know that they don't teach you. You must study from the age, really from the age of 13, excuse me, from the age of 13 to the age of 30 in the Hebrew faith. Before, you should be appointed and or anointed or elected into the office of a priest. Listen. They know that there were very few in that time that had gone through those schools that taught that basic Hebrew principle of you cannot occupy this seat of priest unless you had studied from the time you were 13 to 30. He, the one you call Jesus, would have been at age thirty at that time, so here's another criteria that made it obvious to them that he fit the criteria that would make him the Christ slash the Messiah. He was prepared all his life for that seat, and they all knew that, so he went around and he was he was as he was being challenged, he would ask other questions to them to see where their mind was that. And how well they knew the difference between Christ and the Christ. Let me read his words for you. Matthew sixteen, verses fifteen through seventeen. He saith unto them, "But whom say ye that I am?" And Simon Peter answered and said, "Thou art the Christ." The son of the living God.
0: Hold that. The misinterpretation of what this
1: means. We're covering what it means to be the Christ. But this may sting some of you as we deal with this, but you must know the truth the Son of the Living God. What does that mean? What did Simon Peter mean? What was in his mind when he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the Living God? Well, we've covered what it means to be the Christ. So what does it mean to be the
0: Son of the Living God? Genesis chapter 6, verse 2.
1: Excuse me. Genesis chapter 6, verse. I'm going to start at verse 2, and I'm going to jump down to verse 4. That the sons of God, hold that. The sons of God, plural. That the sons, plural, of God, saw the daughters of men that they were fair. And they took them wives of all which they chose. Jumping down to verse 4. There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God, plural sons of God, came in unto the daughters of men, and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men which were of old. Men of renown, hold that there was a larger physical stature amongst the Aboriginals than of other nations, and these this physical stature being larger were called giants, meaning they were seven feet plus taller, and up until a certain point in history. The only people on earth who were ever taller than, uh, let's say, seven feet were all of negroid stocks. But then there became various diseases in other cultures or other so-called nations that would uh, hyperactivate their hormones and make them grow taller than they were used to growing. Most of the people in those days would grow from four to five feet. You were lucky if you reached six feet tall. So all the people that were seven feet tall were of aboriginal descent, seven feet tall and higher. I'm not going to go into the mythology of whether they were 50 feet tall. I'm not going there today. Some believe that they could have been 50 feet tall. I'm not uh, tackling that today. What I want
0: to point out is that there were many sons of blessings, brothers and sisters, as usual, there was a problem,
1: but it was cut off, and I have exceeded the time frame in which I was intended to be here with you, but I thank you for your love and your support. I don't know what causes this to happen almost every week, if it's not
0: every week, it's Nonetheless continue where we left off. Hopefully I could be heard clearly.
1: I tried to dial back in with the same phone and it would not allow me to get back in. I had an alternative phone and um, therefore we will pick up here as we left off. Dealing with Matthew chapter sixteen, verse sixteen, Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the Living God and this would confuse you if you don't know the background and history of the culture of the Hebrew faith, you would be lost. All of those who were the children of Israel were called the sons and daughters of God. So to return to that meant that this one that you call Jesus would have been returning to be once again a son of God. Now, the one who would occupy the seat of the Messiah again would have been the prophet or king or prophet king. Therefore, he would have been the Christ. Therefore, he would have been a son of God. He was considered the son of God because he would have been the king of kings and the Lord of lords of those of the children of Israel and the nation of Israel. Meaning that all of those that were in the nation were considered kings by status in law. Kings and queens by status in law. Therefore, we would all have been the sons and daughters of God and would have been men of renown. Renown. Meaning renowned faith, renowned knowledge, renowned character,
0: and nobility. So as we've led up to this point, we have just a little bit more to go. We have
1: determined that we broke down the difference in, uh, well, the definition of the name Jesus, meaning Savior, Definition of Messiah, meaning anointed. The definition of anointing, which was part physical ceremony in the sense of the spiritual aspect of it with anointing of the oil. And part physical ceremony in the form of an inauguration into an office. And we read out of the Smith Bible Dictionary that the prophets were anointed into office and they were called messiahs,
0: and the kings were anointed into office and they were called messiahs. So we additionally defined by the scriptures themselves in John
1: uh, chapter 1, verse 41. I'll read it again for you. Andrew speaking. He first parted his old brother Simon, and said, saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. So he did, he did interprets that all of them at that time knew that there was a distinct difference in the Christ, and he determines that the Messiah is interpreted to mean the Christ. So the Messiah and the Christ were one. Now, if the Messiah was a prophet slash king, or prophet and or king, or prophet or king,
0: he would then be interpreted as the Christ, which, Originally, in the original dynasties of ours,
1: King David was the first appointed Therefore, by Samuel, the prophet. Therefore, he would have been the first Messiah slash the first Christ. I know that that's difficult for some of you to stomach. Listen, you have been lied to. I'm reading it out of the scriptures, and you're seeing it with your own eyes, and some of you are in denial. I went through that. I couldn't believe that these people had the audacity to stand up in the pulpit and lie to us. But I want you to understand something,
0: brothers and sisters. They don't know that they're teaching falsehood. Most of them don't. Don't be angry with them. Neither be hurt. Suck it up. Face reality and deal with
1: truth. If you really love truth and you're really a truth seeker,
0: Most High Almighty has brought this truth to you to free you, make you holy. So then we went on to explain how Jesus himself knew the difference between Christ and the Christ. He knew that most of the people didn't know the difference.
1: Apparently John the Baptist and his disciples knew the difference.
0: They were, they were asking and speaking to him on the Christ and not Christ. So the son of the living God is one of the sons of God who are returned to their
1: original state, original condition. And if you are one of the sons and daughters of God, or strictly of the 12 tribes of Israel, you were the Christ or the Messiah or the king or the ruler over, over Israel, and you were
0: looked upon as the son. Of the living God. Now keep in mind. The one you call Jesus. Study with a particular group. He knew the history of the Hebrew faith.
1: He knew the state of mind consciousness of the people around him. In his society in that day. He knew what it meant to be the Christ, and he knew
0: the difference between the Christ and Christ. He knew Christ was Serapis Christus' worship of an idol god.
1: He knew that the Christ was that which came from the Hebrew faith passed all the way down through the prophets. He knew that it had been preserved, and kept by particular uh, bodies of people in higher education outside of your general scholastic system and outside of religion. He knew this. Now listen to what he says to his disciples after Simon Peter says that he, Jesus, is the Christ. Listen to what he says. This is Matthew chapter 16, verse 20. Then charged his disciples, they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. Hold that. Why would
0: he tell them not to tell people that he was Jesus? Christian Church teaches you this was his way of being humble and pious. I'm not suggesting that it's not that. You have got to expound upon that to be able to comprehend it. He knew he had not established
1: yet a government of theocracy. The Hebrew faith. And so the scripture says, upon his return, there shall be a government upon his shoulders. You don't hear me. He knew that during his lifetime, at that particular time, it had not been established yet, so he had not officially taken the seat of the Christ. But he knew that the people did not know the difference and they were looking at him as their Savior Christ. He knew that they saw him as their leader, as their Savior. So he was, in fact, the people's champ. And he was of great power and great knowledge and of great magnitude, and he was speaking to a people who were great but were sleek. He was speaking to you, Negroes, you Latinos, you Natives, you West Indians,
0: you Haitians. He was speaking to you directly because you are the
1: chosen of the Most High God Almighty. And he knew that you didn't then and you still don't now know the difference between Christ and the Christ. But he was your Christ. So he was the people's champ. Today, yesterday, tomorrow, and forever, he will be the people's champ.
0: And this is not a statement to belittle him in the greatness that he accomplished. with are standing
1: strong on delivering that message. He did not want them to go and brag and tell them that he was the Christ. Because he knew he had other things to complete to actually take that seat. Now listen, the Hebrew faith is divided. I'm not talking about Judaism. I'm not talking about Christianity. Those are not the original ways of life of the one you call Jesus and the prophets that preceded him. That is not
0: their way of life. Therefore, in your language, that is not their religion. They were Hebrews, all the way down to Paul. They were Hebrews.
1: There's a divide in the Hebrew world. There are some that are strictly said Old Testament Hebrews who don't believe that the Messiah has come, just as it is in the religion
0: of Judaism. Now, let me even take it even further. See, I've been in this thing 25 plus years. I was trained. this?
1: There are some that are aboriginals, that are in the Hebrew faith, that do not believe that the Jesus of 2,000 years ago was the Christ. They don't know why they don't believe it. They don't believe he was the Messiah. They don't know why they don't believe it. They just know, in general, that he said to not have feel certain things. There are even some who, in the Hebrew faith, who don't believe the New Testament at all, who are against Paul and consider Paul to be a traitor, because they don't understand that Paul, they think Paul was preaching to other nations. Paul was never preaching to foreign nations. But they don't understand that because they haven't been taught that. But they do not adhere to the said New Testament. But they believe that the one you call Jesus was the Christ. Now listen to the confusion amongst the people. Our Hebrews, they don't believe in the New Testament. They reject Paul's writing. But they believe that Jesus was the Christ. Are Hebrews who don't believe in the New Testament don't believe that the Messiah had come at all. You have Hebrews who accept the Old and the New Testament who believe in Jesus as the Christ, or as Christ,
0: excuse me.
1: You have Hebrews who believe in both the Old and the New
0: Testament who believe in Jesus as the Christ. We were all confused, but it had not come to us in this pure form until such as
1: today when these curses have been lifted from us for our four hundred years of servitude it had come had not come to us until such time as today because this is the aftermath of these these uh curses that were put on us that you still see us going through because we refused to loose this beast. You refuse to lose this idolatry. And as long as you refuse that, the aftermath of the curses will continue to be on you as though they had
0: never been lifted. You don't hear me. So understand the people of that time, those who were Sadducees and Pharisees, those who were uh, disciples of
1: uh, John the Baptist, and they had various other sects,
0: S-E-C-T-S, of people of the Hebrew faith. They had various other orders. Do you recall
1: it being, uh, the one you call Jesus being referred to as Jesus of Nazareth?
0: And being referred to as a Nazarite? If I can read that. Oh man, what did I do? One Let me look that up for you, so that you will get a greater understanding. What was the Nazarene? I'm gonna read Nazarene for you. I'm gonna read Nazarene for you out of the Bible. Fiction. Inhabitant of Nazareth. This relative is applied to Jesus in many
1: passages in the New Testament. This name made striking in so many ways, in which the first given and scorned, was adopted and glorified by the disciples, we are told in Matthew. Now, he was an in inhabitant of Nazareth. That's what it meant to be a Nazarene. Now, there's also
0: a thing called the Nazarite. What is a Nazarite? Well, also, let me read another definition. Nazareth, the guarded one.
1: Ordinary residence of our Savior. Not mentioned in the Old Testament, but it occurs in, first in Matthew chapter
0: Now, Nazarite, more properly Nazarite, one of either sex who was
1: bound by a vow of a particular kind to be set apart from others for the service of God. Obligation was either for life or for a defined time. There is no notice in the Pentateuch of Nazarites for life. But the regulations for the
0: vow of a Nazarite of days are given in Numbers, chapter 6. Nazarite literally is defined as one separate. A
1: Nazarite was not the citizenship of a Nazarene. This is why Nazarite is
0: distinguished, uh, appreciated from Nazarite, Nazarene. A Nazarite was a particular group upon which one studied with. it. We can verify
1: that this one you call Jesus was, in fact, a Nazarite. Not, in, by, not by nationality, not by citizenship. He was a member of a particular order
0: in the Nazarite way of life. That was taken from the ancient Hebrew faith. Now let me read one more thing for you and we'll be
1: done for the day so that you'll get a solid comprehension the totality
0: of what it means. One that you call Jesus,
1: was a member of a particular group. We just define that he was a Nazarite.
0: I'll read for you Hebrews 7. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God,
1: who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being by interpretation, king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. I hold that. Now what I'm going to read for you next is going to be a bit shocking if you don't understand it.
0: Think of all the stories that you've heard about the birth of Jesus. Think of that. All the things that you've heard about him. Read verse 3 for you. This is Hebrews chapter 7, verse 3. Without father, without mother, without descent.
1: Having neither beginning of day Nor end of life But made like unto the
0: Son of God By this a priest continually Now consider how
1: great this man was Unto whom even the patriarch Abraham
0: Gave the tenth of the spoils Listen to me good Melchizedek was an ancient high priest. And this scripture says he had no father, he had no mother, he had no descent. He
1: had neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like unto the Son of God. Abided,
0: a priest continually listened I'm going to jump down, matter of fact. You just listen to this.
1: I'm going to go back to Hebrews chapter 6, verse 20. Listen to this. This is going to explain to you what all of this mystery is about, what all these things and these fables and fairy tales have been about. Listen to it. Hebrews 6 and 20. Whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made in high priest forever, After the order of Melchizedek
0: What am I saying here What are these scriptures trying to tell you One you call Jesus studied with the order of Melchizedek And became a high priest Or was to become a high priest Is a better way to say it And in that order, it was understood that the original founder of this order, El was without father, was without mother, was without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, made life unto the Son of God, abided a priest continually, So all
1: of that that was referred to as Melchizedek,
0: because this one that you call Jesus was of the order of Melchizedek, all
1: that was said of pertaining to Melchizedek,
0: transferred and equated to him. Don't hear me. Why is that? Why is that? This is what you have got to understand.
1: Matter of fact, let me say this
0: before I forget.
1: Melchizedek is spelled slightly differently in the New Testament than it is in the Old Testament. But what
0: they're doing in the New Testament is quoting the said Old Testament. So, Melchizedek will be spelled, in the Old Testament, M-E-L-T-H-I-Z-E-D-E-K. So, in the said Old Testament, they're quoting uh, Psalms 110. Verse uh, 4, the Lord, the Lord hath sworn and will not repent, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. This order of Melchizedek was a specific order, particularly
1: of those that were inhabiting the land of Nazareth. It had been preserved with this ancient knowledge of hypocrisy, with his ancient knowledge of what it meant to be a bond servant,
0: of his ancient knowledge of the difference between Christ and the Christ. He had to study with them the order of Melchizedek. From the time he was 13 to the time he was 30, to be called a priest. What you call Jesus had to study with them to be a priest. And the priesthood will
1: prepare you for the prophetic order, the prophetic order. And the prophetic order, with you being anointed, will make you a Messiah make you, therefore, prepared for the seat of the Christ. Do you hear me? You have to keep up with this to get it. Which would have made you a son of God, and you, being the king of Israel, would have made you the son of God. And the Scripture said that there were multiple sons of God. So there was first, Considered to be the original first Appointed son of God would have been David So if David was the original Messiah he would have been the Original Christ You have to go back to the beginning of This lesson to gather all This together to really grasp this Now And if David would have been The original Christ He would have been the original son of God By status Of us returning To self-government Of us returning to theocracy We would reclaim That we were in fact The almighty chosen People of God And we would therefore be living Under the law, statutes and commandments Of the most high almighty And not under under the laws of the heathen Therefore we would be the legitimate sons and daughters of God, once again. We would all be in the status of a sovereign nation. All the men would be kings, and all the women would be queens. And we would have a leader who would be the king of kings, and the lord of lords, because the lord is one who is the possessor of land free of encumbrances, free of taxes, free of liens, free of various auspices. Free and clear, a title over land made you a lord. And all of our people, during the time of Moses, we were dividing up the land into lots. You know how if you get your legal description right now of, of a house, it's sitting on a lot, and they give you a lot description? Okay, well, Moses was the first one to do that. That's ancient. It was not a Caucasoid, It was not a European, period. It was Moses. I'm not doubting them because it wasn't them. I'm making it clear so that you get in your mind who this is that this book is talking about and where they learned it from. He divided the land into lots. Moses did. and gave the land to the chosen of the
0: Most High and separated the land into lots by meats and bounds,
1: and gave them a lordial rulership over that land. That is what made them lords. So in fact, everyone in our nation that was in a sovereign nation, that being a sovereign nation, would have been a king and a lord, and the ruler over us would have been a king of kings and a lord of lords. Do you all see how these lying, wicked, devilish Romans have totally
0: just destroyed your comprehension of what's going on on Of what's
1: really going on in story. Now there's another sense in the scriptures where they use the term lots, where they're casting lots. That's, that's that's more on the mystical side I'm not talking about that part So I, I, That just came to me So I don't But the land was actually Divided up by Moses Into lots, And it was surveyed, And the survey would be turned over To the individual um, Member of the tribe Or the common language family Of the tribe and that family had their own land under law. This is why they could go across the earth and place their titles on the land. And that some of those titles are still on the land today, and they placed them 5,000 years ago. They're still on the maps today from 5,000 years ago. On a modern-day map, go and see if you don't see Zidane. It might be spelled differently. It's spelled with an S. We'll see if you don't see that. That's just one of them. You do the research. We can't do all the work for you. And I'm not here to try to impress you with the things that I've studied and gathered comprehension over. I don't care if you take it or leave it. Believe it or not, that's on you. And It is not my job to be concerned about what you believe. My job is to be your brother and tell you the truth. So this is the confusion
0: of Christ versus the Christ. Now let me go back to one thing in particular. As you, as you, have heard of King Tut. You've heard of Osiris, Isis, and Horus. You've heard of Akhenaten, Akmos, Moses. Some of these
1: people have lied to you and told you that some of that was stolen
0: from the Bible, stolen from Egypt. I'm going to get for you out of the Bible dictionary the definition of Mesopotamia. You don't have to rely on this definition. Either.
1: Use historical definition. Mesopotamia defined as meaning between the rivers, entire country between the two rivers, Tigris and Euphrates. This is a tract nearly 700 miles long, and from 20 to 250 miles abroad, extending in a southern-easterly direction. Telic, Perna, Arabian geographers term it island, a name which is almost literally correct, with a few miles only intervene between the source of the Tigris and the Euphrates, at Telic. That's a short... I'm going to stop it right
0: there. Tigris and Euphrates rivers are still named that today. Guess who named
1: them? The inhabitants of Mesopotamia. And guess what? Mesopotamia is the original history of the earth. Guess who occupied Mesopotamia? Shemites slash Israelites. Originally it was Shemites actually. Guess what? Mesopotamian history predicts Babylonian history and Sumerian history. And Sumerian history and Babylonian history predate Kemetic history.
0: Guess what? The Bible predates If you know how to read it, As
1: I said earlier today, let's look at this. Ham and Shem were brothers. Their offsprings would have been cousins. Bringing forth the original Hebrew faith, they would have learned bits and pieces of it, of course. Ham would have learned some of it. But depending on who you speak to, they confuse you about who was the eldest son, Shem or Japheth. Here's the point. How do we know the scriptures continually say Shem, Hams, and Feath? That's one reason
0: that we know. But next we know because Shem is listed
1: first, and the bloodline inheritance was passed to Shem. So the inheritance always went to the firstborn, meaning the knowledge bits and pieces of that knowledge were, in fact, kept by him and his descendants, which is why there are in the, uh, what is it, 144 negative promises. there are some things that are apparently similar to the said Ten Commandments, uh, but Here's the point I always make. This is one of the best arguments that I've uh, been able to come up with, and uh, been able to defeat some of this nonsense that's in the people's minds. The negative confessions say I have not. I have. I have a, a, a old videotape by one Doctor Abdullah Quick. He's an Arab Muslim. He goes to Egypt. He pulls the negative confession. And he shows when one of them says, I have not eaten pork. For well, all you swine eaters, go check out, uh, uh, you swine eating comedic students, go check out Dr. Abdullah Quick. an Arab. And he shows you plainly that it says, I have not eaten pork. Now, this is the argument that I make. It says, I have not. I have not. I have not. Well, hell, why would you say, I, I have not, unless you are addressing someone that said, thou shalt not?
0: Unless you are addressing, thou shalt not. That is common sense. And it eludes the people because they are so stuck
1: in idolatry and trying to sell you some religion or sell you their philosophy that they do not want to stick with truth. They want to stick with their idea. So the Most High Almighty had to raise a group of people that would not come out here to sell you on a religion or sell you on some type of philosophy. So this nation that you're listening to, I have to tell you the truth are those ones who were raised to tell you this truth and not sell you some so-called truth, which is why we can back up everything you hear us speak on. You know, come out of the side of our necks, making up some old Moorish history or some comedic history, trying to make you into some Superman and be in love with yourself in a narcissistic way. You get into denial over the wickedness that you've done and are continuing to do so you don't even see your people for their wickedness today. Let me tell you something. I love you enough to tell you the truth, even though you may hate it. I don't always like having to do it either. It's not the best feeling to know that you will be hated just for speaking truth. But you know, just as I know, that that has been the history of this planet Earth, that has been the history of us underneath these Romans. And let me tell you something. The Roman governor did not want to put the Christ to death or the people's champ to death. He did not want to put him to death. It was you Negroes that hate truth. You're the Negroes that are the Jews in the Bible that said put him to death. You will sell your brother out. You will sell your leaders out. You will sell your king out. You will sell your champ out. Mike Tyson was the people's champ at one time, or a people's champ. He went to prison for rape. Comes back, he doesn't have a title anymore, but to us, he was still the champ. Muhammad Ali was a people's champ. He gets caught up in this uh, draft dodging thing. He refuses to go fight for America. He's removed of the belt He comes back He's considered the people's champ Now he's got to fight Joe Frazier Who's currently wearing the belt at that time He was a people's champ
0: But the greatest of all Of the people's champs Was the one that you come to know of as Jesus He did not finish What he was starting To complete
1: and he knew that until he did, he could not be referred to lawfully as the Christ. But he knew that the people were confused about Christ versus
0: the Christ. This is the confusion amongst the people. Did he
1: achieve the goal of being inaugurated and anointed?
0: Into that seat. Or did he not Study this And make sure you got it good It's been a long lesson Um,
1: We had a break there Where as usual Something happens with the phones They're trying to stop this truth there have been a few times where I just said, forget it, we're going to call it a day. This time, this message was too important
0: to not continue to get the out. So in Kemet, they had the Karas. And uh, Serapis Christians comes
1: along and makes... Serapis Christus and his followers the Christians,
0: who would therefore be tied in to the cross. King Tut was of a different bloodline. Osiris,
1: Horus, and uh, Isis were mythological characters. But they were based on those or of the Shemitic bloodline Who would have been at some time referred to As a Asar Aset in Hebrew But the confusion of the bloodlines Confused the said philosophy Versus the so called religion And so because many of us don't see The real nationalities of ancient figures And whether or not they actually existed in not. you have those who consciously know That some of those Said gods in Egypt were complete mythology And they try to stick that on the scriptures And say that the the characters in the Bible Were complete mythology When I tell you I can show you David, Solomon, Abraham Isaac, Jacob And pretty much everybody else That you think is a fraud I can show you them Under different names In Egypt In Timothy. Why is that? Because what you don't get is a different language produces sometimes an entirely different spelling or meaning of the name. You don't hear me. So if you don't notice about history and about linguistic arts, you fall short in your comprehension because your study is for the purpose of trying to sell somebody on a point that you're trying to make. You're trying to sell hatred. You're trying to sell anger. You're trying to sell pain. And so you do not do the necessary research. Uncover truth. The elders of the Order of Melchizedek, they, they taught me and many others, not just me. They trained us to say, listen, you tell the truth and let the truth condemn who it may. But you tell the truth. Even if it means that you must be condemning yourself, you tell the truth. So I don't give a damn whether you believe this or not. I'm not trying to sell you on any of this. And that's the whole point of why the Most High had to raise a body of people that are not going to sell you on some hatred just for the sake of you following them or some anger or some embellished history. Our people come out here and teach, these so-called conscience come out here and teach you the history like they know all the history that ever existed. No, they go and hunt and pick and choose what they want to come prove their point to you to make you more angry, more hateful, and more hurt so they can gouge your pockets from Federal Reserve notes. That's what the hell they do, and you know it's true. And you got these six so-called moors who are selling you on this UCC Sodom garbage, raping the people and destroying their lives, and so now the people have jumped off of off, off of law, now they're going back to some idolatry in ancient Kemet. No history of a transatlantic slave trade is connect, connected to Kemet. No history of people coming from Kemet is connected to transatlantic slave trade. Period. So they got you believing in an entire history that really has little to nothing to do with you. Yes, you were in Kemet. Yes, you did rule Kemet, but you were in the Shemitic
0: Hebrew dynasty and you were not the Hermetic dynasty. We can prove it in history. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here today. Shalom. 18 plus.